Blog, blog, talk, radio. About unity, spreading peace and love in the black community. Trying to bring the people together, see that's a mission. Come one, come all, see you all needs to listen. See everybody wants to point the finger at the other, but you need to show some love for your sister and your brother. See it's not about she is the weak one, he is the strong one, he is the right one, she is the wrong one. No, we all created equal. Put your hand in the air if you got love for your people. You and I, T-Y. when we get on one accord, we can make it much better. You and I, T-Y. that surround the minister like that, you know, and and the minister entrusts 
his brother, and I've heard him refer to him as his friend and and his companion. And as we look in the you know the scriptures, and we look at Jesus, and we and he had his disciples, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, had his companions. Well, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan has companions as well as followers and disciples, and and I can safely say that he considers Brother Akbar a companion in the struggle, and he's the international representative uh, who has traveled to many many countries, and I bear witness that you know um, most if not all of that has been in the work, and to to spread these teachings throughout the world and. So I'm honored. I'm honored as well. I mean, I consider him my uh, my mentor as well as my friend and my brother, but my mentor. And uh, so I'm honored to introduce Brother Akbar Muhammad to the radio audience. Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum. Salam. Yes, sir. How are you feeling? Uh, very good. First, in the name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful. Thank you very much, uh, Sister Cassandra, Brother Brian. Brother Stephen is on the line also? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. First, I want to thank you very much for uh, having me on the show once again. I committed to at least once a month to try to be with you uh, more if possible. Um, We are now in the Bahamas. As you know, Minister Farrakhan is finishing up his Caribbean tour that was interrupted uh, due to illness on his last tour when he uh, developed a fever. He discontinued the tour, but he made a commitment uh, to those countries that he could not uh, go to at the time that he would come back. And uh, for those brothers and sisters on the line who have been following him, uh, unfortunately, I could not be with him in Belize uh, because of the untimely death of my, my brother. And uh, I had to attend to that and attend to the funeral. But as soon as it was over, I was able to travel and uh, <clears throat> come to the Bahamas. Uh, we, the day was our first day in the Bahamas, and Minister Farrakhan spoke uh, at a church here, an excellent uh, lecture, and I'm sure that it will be available to the brothers and sisters. We are trying to put it on television here tonight. I don't know if it will be streamed. Live, but I just want to say this um, to follow up on uh, Brother Brian um, about the international arena and um, the blessing that uh, Allah has uh, granted me to be able to travel on behalf of my nation and Minister Farrakhan. And uh, as I said on, a, I believe on a former uh, show, that um, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad afforded me the first opportunity to travel uh, outside of America, first going through Canada to hear him in Detroit, and then when he uh, allowed me to go to uh, Jamaica to be with the minister in 1971, uh, I believe 1971, Brian, I have to check it, it was 72 or 71, Mm -hmm. to be with the minister when the minister took a a month's rest uh, because he had developed some uh, problems with his lungs, but um, it's been a blessing, and I feel that uh, as a senior in the nation, uh, I'm on a new mission, and that is to help to motivate, stimulate, 
and uh, guide the brothers and sisters, if I could, in how to follow up on Minister Farrakhan's opening the doors to the Nation of Islam internationally. And um, it's not like a permanent door or window that is open. It's time-sensitive. And I just got to speaking to a wonderful group of brothers and there's sisters here who have traveled to the uh, Bahamas to be with Minister Farrakhan. And I said to them uh, in my meeting with them this afternoon that when uh, at 18 years old when I joined the Nation of Islam uh, as a New Yorker, uh, traveling in New York was going from one borough to another. We call that traveling or going uh, downtown to 42nd Street or going over to Brooklyn if you lived in the Bronx. But when I joined the Nation of Islam, we began to travel to cities following the Honorable Elijah Muhammad as he spoke across America. And when the Honorable Elijah Muhammad left us, and uh, whether I was working with Imam Muhammad or others, but we traveled to cities that under normal circumstances growing up in America we would have never went to. We wouldn't have any reason to go to them uh, unless it was a family reunion or we were going to see a family that was a marriage or a dick uh, in the family. But the Nation of Islam has afforded many of the young brothers and sisters an opportunity to visit cities. Um, when Minister Farrakhan uh, allowed us to have uh, International Savior's Day in Ghana in October of 1994, 1,900 brothers and sisters, most of them Muslims and members of the nation and a few of the followers and visitors, traveled to West Africa. They had a reason to go to West Africa. Most of them would have never gotten a passport or even travel. Now, in 2013, 2012, the minister has embarked on trips in and out of the Caribbean six times to the Caribbean in the last year, seven times, actually, now, uh, into the Caribbean, showing where it is at on his agenda. And he's opened doors. The minister goes in, and as he said at the dinner table last night, describing to me what took place in uh, Belize. Also, uh, Brother Adiba, who was there to document it uh, for the Nation of Islam uh, film and to help organize it, was telling me how unbelievable the trip to Belize was. And so today at his table, as we were having coffee this morning, I said to the minister, it's amazing how God has blessed you, one man, to open up a whole country. Uh, for the nation of Islam. And what we need is the the soldiers, the troops, the thinkers, the doers, the shakers, to move into those areas and keep those doors open. One thing that we have learned in the international arena, things change. You saw on Tuesday, the 5th of uh, March, uh, the death of Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. And quite naturally, um, that's going to change uh, things in Venezuela. But in the international arena, things change. We witnessed the tragic death of Muammar Gaddafi that has changed Africa and the leaders that go in and out, the election in Kenya. And what is happening with leaders who are there, who may have a friendly position for the nation of Islam, 
and know Minister Farrakhan and know the work of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. But as they get older or move on or voted out or pass away, you have new people who don't have that same history or track record. And so when the minister works works like this and opens the doors uh, of the Nation of Islam in these countries, um, the point is that we have to get people who can go in and help set up for the Nation of Islam. And I feel that in my uh, senior years, and I don't know how long Allah will give me in front of me, I want to encourage the young brothers and sisters uh, to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. To uh, the minister, which I told the group tonight, the thing at 79 years old, and he absolutely looks good. I mean, he looks so good, it's remarkable. Today we were with uh, Bev Smith. of um, She's from Pittsburgh. Uh, she's here on a historical project where in the Bahamas there's an area where the slaves uh, came in. It was a historical area uh, called Clifton. And the developers are coming in with no sense of our history and the value of our history, and they're pushing to develop this area to build a resource. A resource uh, um, I'm looking for the word. Um, resource. Places resource. where people go. Say, say that again. Resorts. 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 Thank you. Uh, Where people will go on vacation and destroy these historical uh, monuments and ruins to the struggle of the slaves in this area, a history that most of us in the States know very little about because it wasn't publicized. So Beth Smith, uh, former Alderwoman Dorothy Tillman from Chicago, uh, George Curry, the former editor of the now defunct Emerge magazine and a, a great black writer, uh, they're here. Uh, they gathered with Minister Farrakhan on those historical uh, sites to lift up their voice that, no, this should not fall under the uh, wrecking wall of development to make it possible for people to come and vacation and destroy a piece of our history. So these doors, I'm saying all of this to say that uh, Allah has blessed the minister. I mean, uh, the work that he's doing is remarkable. It's a miracle in itself. The way he moves, the way he looks, and the subjects that he's able to deliver, the gift of uh, his ability to speak into the hearts of people on different continents and different parts of the world. And what we have to do as followers of his, helpers in the nation of Islam, to know that if we make the sacrifice, we're preparing a future for the nation and that we can reach every corner of this world with the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the tremendous God gift ability of Minister Farrakhan to touch the hearts and the souls of people. So I want to open it my talk up tonight with that, and I hope that uh, what we started at Savior's Day, the international forum, and out of that forum we prepared a document for the minister uh, that the minister read and, and commented to me about how he enjoyed the document, but in it were the goals of what we hope to do for the nation of Islam. 
And remember, this may not be everybody's page. You know, you may be in agriculture, you may be in health and communications or technology, you may be into teaching uh, other business areas. But those who are interested in the international arena and moving the nation of Islam forward in societies that is needed, uh, I do believe, if I can remember probably I spoke on the possibilities of Haiti. Uh, when I arrived here in the Bahamas, I had a prolonged discussion about Haiti and Haiti and CARICOM and uh, the fact of uh, 9 to 10 million people in Haiti that need to be a part of what's going on in the Caribbean. Uh, the loss of Hugo Chavez will have an impact uh, on the Caribbean if his policies are not continued. And um, into this comes the dynamic teachings of the Nation of Islam with the voice of Minister Louis Farrakhan that uh, gives hope direction. One of the, the highlights of his trip to Belize, and I hope that it's released so that the members of the nation can witness it, but also our brothers and, and friends um, and the, even the naysayers, is when Minister Farrakhan spoke to nearly a thousand inmates, uh, brothers and sisters, at a prison in the Belize. Was it in Belize City? It was in outside of Belize City. And um, they said that uh, I heard uh, Captain Mustafa and his son Joshua say it brought tears to those, the eyes of many of the believers who were there with the minister on security, brothers and sisters, as he talked into the hearts and souls of those inmates. And as they emerge from prison, then they can, their lives can be turned around with this kind of message. The government, uh, the prime minister, the foreign minister, other government officials received the minister in such a warm way. Uh, he actually opened up a country, and I'm encouraging those from Belize, especially the West Coast in New York, who were online reading uh, about the minister's trip and listening to him, that they would be moved to go and take advantage of what is happening in this beautifully rich country because others are moving into Belize now. Uh, when we first start going to Belize, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad sent one of the ministers in our ministry class in New York uh, brother, his name was uh, Bernard then. His name now is Nuri Muhammad. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad sent him back home to Belize in 1972 to look into a land project that the Nation of Islam had there. And he went there and set up the teaching. And he was the one who organized Minister Farrakhan's trip to Belize. And the, the land is rich but other people now are moving into Belize because they see the potential, but we have an opportunity to plant the flag of the Nation of Islam, spread our teachings there, and organize the people in the direction that we feel they should go in terms of the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. So I wanted to open with that because I thought it was uh, important. And to know, um, brothers and sisters who are on the line, that we belong to the, a nation, not an organization, not a club, not a cult, not a sect, but it is the nation of Islam. 
in Friday's New York Times, there's a front uh, page story about, uh, I believe his name is Gaif, uh, the son-in-law of the late Osama bin Laden, who um, was living uh, in the Iran, left Iran, went to Turkey, was uh, uh, held in Turkey, sent to Jordan, and then extradited to the United States, New York City in particular, and had to go into a court on this past Thursday. The New York Times came out with a story that appeared on the front of the New York Times Friday. You can go online and read it. And in the article, I showed it to the minister this morning, it said that they were calling for the nation of Islam to rally against Jews, Christians, and other non-believers. But it, the nation of Islam they were calling for wasn't the nation of Islam as we know it. And the New York Times could clear that up. But they were calling, as they said, the nation of Islam, talking about the whole world of Islam, to rally against Western forces. And it appeared, uh, the way the Times printed it, that it was talking about the nation of Islam under the leadership of the minister, Louis Farrakhan, rooted in the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, as the minister says in his weekly broadcast, the eternal leader of the nation of Islam. So it shows that there is a war against Islam, and the establishment of Islam as a religion in the hearts of people, especially in the Western Hemisphere. So I thought that this is a, an area that when I come on your show, Sister Cassandra, and the other um, blog talk radio shows, that uh, we could talk about from my perspective and where I see the nation going in the future. The minister in the time and what must be done, and his excellent Savior Jay uh, lecture talked about the economic development of the nation, the uh, purchase of land, uh, the cultivation of land, of uh, businesses that we must go into. And these businesses represent uh, income, a source of income uh, for the nation of Islam that helps us to promote our idea. When the minister travels into the Caribbean, it is the donation of the believers uh, to the number two poor that affords him an opportunity to pay for trips like this, to bring staff, to put them in the hotels, to buy airline tickets, and his whole purpose is to convey the message and to redeem our people who have fallen uh, to the bottom of civilization and to lift them up from that position by the power of the word and the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. So I thank you for giving me a chance to uh, open up and... Uh, if Brother Bryant, Brother Stevens, Sister Cassandra would like to weigh in and ask some questions, and we can open up a dialogue on okay. uh, where we at, are at. And God willing, the minister will be traveling again next month and traveling overseas to continue his worldwide mission. And I do want to encourage uh, the believers and the followers to get involved and help the minister in this worldwide mission for the yes. nation of Islam. Yes, sir. Okay, and um, Brother Brian and Brother Stephen, before you come in, let me just say to the callers 
uh, you know, if you have any questions or comments, you know, just push one and I will bring you in. Okay. And um, but Abra, one thing you were, you were just saying, you said it's a time-sensitive door that the minister is opening right now. What do you uh, mean by yes. it being time-sensitive? Time-sensitive because doors close. And they close because the world changes so rapidly. Um, Africa right now, I'll give you a prime example. In the country of Mali, there was a president who was overthrown uh, just last year, Torre. He was a friend of the minister. I have beautiful pictures of him and the minister uh, in Mali and in Libya at conferences. Um, He's a strong Muslim loved the nation of Islam, that door was open if we wanted to work in Mali, do something in Mali. It was open because there was a president that knew the nation, knew our leader, Minister Farrakhan, and would facilitate a way that we could go into Mali uh, with our spiritual work as well as to go in business. Mali just has a major gold find. They have uh, uranium of fines in Mali, and they just found a tremendous amount of oil. So he was overthrown. Mali has fallen into chaos. The French have gone in now. They uh, make it appear that they're trying to stop these fundamentalist, crazy Muslims uh, who are taking over the northern part of the country, and it split the country. So the door to Mali right now is closed. I'm giving that to you as an example. Uh, in the Nigeria, which is actually with the killing of the hostages that were captured, uh, they say, by Muslim extremists in the northern part of Nigeria, Nigeria has fallen into complete chaos. It's a country at one time, I used to tell the brothers, if we went there with the teachings, went into Lagos and Abuja and uh, Kano, if we went into that country especially when Sonny Abacho was the president who, through his sons, introduced their father to Minister Farrakhan. Their sons heard a couple of the minister's tapes, took it home to their father and said, Dad, you've got to hear this brother Farrakhan from America, and reached out and invited the minister to come to Nigeria and talk to the nation of Islam about doing business and so forth with Nigeria, which could help move the nation. When he was over, not overthrown, when he was poisoned, he was killed, and a new president came into Nigeria, that door closed for us. I'm just giving you an example of what I mean, my sister. Um, Muammar Gaddafi, who opened many doors, not only in Africa, but when he pulled the Caribbean in, and he talked to leaders in these areas about Minister Farrakhan, They opened doors for us. After he was uh, overthrown and brutally assassinated, those doors closed. So that's what I mean by time sensitive. Um, In America and uh, its movement in Africa and in the Caribbean, uh, America's relationship with Kenya, uh, Kenya is in America's orbit because of their uh, strategic alliance, not because Barack Obama's father came from Kenya, but Kenya in, in, uh, with 48 million people in East Africa is a, a strategic 
country for the United States of America and Britain, and uh, they're trying to make sure that they can uh, waylay or stop or uh, stammy the influence of China in East Africa and Kenya in particular that just went through an election. So um, I'm saying that um, this is what I mean by time-sensitive and doors closed. I hope I've uh, – I took a scenic route, but I hope, Sister Cassandra, I've painted the picture for you. And thank you, because that, you know, that actually showed more of a sense of urgency, you know, that we can't wait for anyone that was thinking, well, maybe I'll wait until next year. That shows, you know, more of a sense of urgency. So thank you. And we have a caller here. Yes. Train a caller here. Okay. Uh, caller 507-398. You have a question or comment? Well, can you state your name and where you're calling from? Yes, ma'am, Sister Cassandra. This is Brother Mustafa calling from Rochester, Minnesota. Yes, sir. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum to uh, all the panelists and uh, Brother Akbar. Uh, I, I was calling uh, so that uh, perhaps maybe I could uh, get some information that would uh, lead me uh, in some sort of way where I would be able to participate in the commerce uh, that's taking place uh, in the Caribbean and uh, in the other countries in Africa uh, in order to utilize my skills as a heavy equipment operator uh, and uh, in uh, the truck driving. Uh, mm-hmm. So so whatever information that could be given uh, that would allow me to uh, even just be able to take a glance at it. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how uh, uh, right now how uh, I'm going to be able to play a role, but I'm just believing by faith that mm-hmm. somehow, some way, uh, I can uh, be involved with this. That's great. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you very much, my brother. Uh, you know what I, uh, over the years, what I have encouraged uh, brothers and sisters to do, to take a trip uh, into the Caribbean, uh, take a trip to Africa, Look at it and get a feel of it for yourself. Um, I think that that is the first step, and I encourage the, especially the young Muslims. Um, as I talk to the group of Muslims who, on their own expense, came and joined the minister uh, in the Caribbean. It's easy to get to the Caribbean. It's close. It's not that expensive, but it was an opportunity for them to see the minister. Uh, I don't like to use the word, but to uh, operate abroad. But it, it is it's more than just going into a place and teaching. Um, there's the diplomatic handle. There's the meeting with government officials. And wherever the minister goes, we always try to arrange for him to deliver a major address on a college or a university campus to meet with business people. The minister in, right now is particularly concerned about farming and land. He met with the um, Maronites and uh, Belize. There's a group of them here. He's going to look at uh, in the Bahamas and agricultural uh, projects in, in one of the islands. Also, for those on the line, and we can repeat this, um, 
there's a trip that I'm taking a group to Africa this summer. And if you want to get information on it, you can uh, email um, info, I-N-F-O, at Cousins Trips, uh, just like it sounds, Cousins, C-O-U-S-I-N, Trips, T-R-I-P-S, dot com. And there's a website there. And also there's a phone number that you can call, um, and you can speak to um, Samima. The phone number is 678-549-4775. That's 678 area code, 549-4775. If those who are interested in going, this trip is only to Ghana, West Africa. Most of you listening to me know that I lived there for 12 years, and we have a new president in Ghana that is going to open up a world of possibilities. Uh, Brother Tajani, who made the uh, opening prayer at the Million Man March and has been with the minister on many occasions and has helped at the mosque in Chicago, has relocated back to uh, Ghana, and we'll be working together with them on some projects in Ghana for the Muslim community and other and some other business projects. And then uh, there is a brother, uh, Earl, from Las Vegas, who just returned uh, from Ghana with me, um, and he is a, a real businessman. He owns a project in Tanzania. He's looking to put another project like that in Ghana, and um, we can uh, give you information of how to reach him and um, talk over some projects that he has if you're interested in the business field. And the brother with heavy equipment, heavy equipment is big business in the, in Ghana. Brother Bryant has a brother named Victor um, in the, um, Columbia, South Carolina, who's been working in the, um, the uh, I guess, the power sector. Right. But right now he's been traveling and going back and forth to Africa. And eventually, as a member of the Nation of Islam, that will benefit the nation. We have okay. Brother... Uh, Khalil and his wife, Brother Brian, you may know his wife there in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Brother James, a former uh, regional secretary on the East Coast from Connecticut and who worked with us in Ghana, in China now. He's in China. And uh, we have brothers and sisters scattered all over the world, and what we have to do is be in touch with each other because our worldwide mission that the minister really opened up after the Million Man March when he went around the world touching 36 nations, and then his continuous uh, world trips uh, has opened doors for Muslims all over the world. One of our sisters was in Japan. She called me from Japan. We had Sister Rita, who was back, that was in China. Then we have the brothers and sisters in the U.K., and those that have moved back to the Caribbean and have opened business and are teaching, such as Brother Abdul Rahman, the minister gave him his name when we were in the Barbados. And if you could see his line of businesses there, it would just uh, it would, it would amaze you. We have the brothers who are working in Guyana, um, two of them in business, and Brother Philip from Canada who would be going back home to uh, work Guyana. 
so we have brothers and sisters in Panama, uh, the brothers and sisters now uh, in Belize that is very obvious who are working. So this yeah. goes throughout the world. Uh, we have brothers in um, Sierra Leone, uh, the brothers who are beginning to work with uh, followers of Minister Farrakhan in the Liberia. As you know, in Ghana, we have them from different places, uh, quite a few brothers and sisters in Ghana. All of them are doing two things, lifting up the flag to spread the teaching and looking at the business prospects in that part of the world. So, brother, I just wanted to give you that information. Uh, and so, and Brother Bryant uh, can reach out to you. I know you've been on the call before, but Brother Bryant, who works close with me, can reach out with you and tell you, uh, some of the possibilities of your line of business. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you sir. Thank you for calling. And uh, let me just say to the caller, I don't know if you're still listening in. We just had a caller from 847. Uh, your line dropped. You can call back in and ask your question. And to the other callers that are I'm standing by, if you have any questions or comments, just press 1 and I'll bring you in. Okay. Um, Brother Stephen? Yes, ma'am. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Okay, yes, sir. You have any uh, questions you want to ask, Ambassador? With the um, passing uh, of of Hugo Chavez, the uh, president of Venezuela, I know that a lot of uh, revolutionary brothers and sisters with a revolutionary mentality, such as myself, really felt his passing. Uh, almost as though we were citizens of Venezuela, Venezuela ourselves. Um, the minister, in the final call, he wrote a statement, and he quoted the Quran, saying, Speak not of those who die or slain, and the way of God is dead. They are alive, but you perceive not. I was want to ask the question, what direction do you see uh, uh, Venezuela going now, because I know, of course, that there's a lot of pressure that is going to be put on Venezuela uh, through the United States uh, because of it being one of the largest producers of oil, uh, and can you can you speak on that? Yes. Uh, as many of you know, it's an excellent question. Mm-hmm. As many of you know, um, Hugo Chavez, in 1992, as a military leader, he attempted a coup, and uh, he was captured. Uh, The coup failed. Then he went the democratic process because as a um, part Indian, part black, and part Hispanic person, the first one who came to power in that position, the oligarchy who ruled Venezuela were mainly what we call Castilians. Um, uh, Caucasian descendants of uh, the Hispanic community. But the oil that Venezuela has is so valuable to America, though it is not the best crude oil because of the weight. It's very heavy, but it's proximity to America, and that's why America gets 25% of its oil. But uh, Hugo Chavez was a student of Fidel Castro, He's one of the children, I can say, of Fidel Castro. And uh, what he felt in his uh, socialist revolution in Venezuela, that it was for the masses of people. 
He used the oil wealth, taking a page from Muammar Gaddafi. He used the oil wealth to, number one, educate his people, to look out for the poor. I mean, they have a, a big population in the Venezuela. I believe, uh, Brian, you can fact-check me on this, their population is about 38 million. Um, when I was in Venezuela, I was there right, right at the time of one of uh, Chavez's elections. I didn't get a chance to have an audience with them because they were in the midst of the election, but they treated me very well. I went to Televista, which is the oil company. Uh, we went to the uh, Venezuelan black community and how uh, Hugo Chavez brought them out of the shadows. Um, being that many people could not travel to Cuba because of the restriction on travel, he allowed the Cuban doctors to set up eye clinics in Caracas, Venezuela, where people from uh, restricted countries that couldn't go to uh, Cuba, such as the United States and some countries in the Caribbean, that they could come to uh, Venezuela and get eye surgery. Um, Hugo Chavez uh, gave uh, oil uh, to poor countries. Not only did he do that, he allowed them to get oil at deep discount to help those countries. So, And he was a thorn in America's side because he attacked America. So in 2002, I believe it was, America engineered a coup against him, overthrew him, put in some of their puppets. But it, the reason it did not last, because the masses of people were with Hugo Chavez, and they knew that there would be a revolution in Venezuela and that America would not get any oil. They'd be cut off completely, so they brought him back. They allowed him to resume power, but this was very hazy in the public of America. But when you read that history, there is a woman, Eva, uh, I, can, I think her last name is Gonzalez, raised in America, wrote a book about the uh, overthrow of Hugo Chavez by the United States of America with uh, Condoleezza Rice uh, orchestrating it. And they took him out of power, but when they saw what was about to happen, they put him back. Now, what does it mean uh, in the um, Caribbean? Hugo Chavez supported the countries in the Caribbean. As you know, when Cuba was on its back, uh, when Hugo Chavez came to power, he supported uh, Fidel Castro, the Cuban Revolution. He helped them. Uh, and there was a lot of things of good that he did. Now that he had, has passed away, and uh, America itself, the government of America, had to cool out the uh, Venezuelan opposition uh, based in Miami, such as the Cuban opposition to Fidel Castro. They were waving flags and celebrating in the street, and somebody had to tell them it was not a class act, and it would not bowl well for the future if they were going to try to take Venezuela back in a democratic election. Um, one thing I want to say, when I was there, I was driving down the streets, uh, I was in a taxi, and uh, I turned, and there was a huge mosque at the center of uh, Caracas, Venezuela. I think it's the largest mosque or the second largest mosque in all of South America. There's a toss-up between the big mosque in uh, Bogota in Colombia, and I was just uh, amazed. I was surprised. But his relationship 
with uh, Iran. As you notice, uh, Ahmadinejad was there for the funeral service, and as he kissed the coffin, coffin of uh, his brother and lifted his fist in the air, it represented a new kind of alliance of the people of South America with the Islamic uh, Republic uh, of Iran's government, and this was a strategic uh, relationship. Um, I'm pretty good because of my travel at looking at people and basically telling what countries they're from uh, in Africa in particular. Uh, it's not the country. I know the region that they're from. And this comes after years of living in Africa and traveling to 44 African nations. I was in the elevator in Libya, and two black men got in the elevator, and I looked at them, and I could not figure out where they were from. I mean, I looked at I kept looking at them. So finally I had to ask. I couldn't even tell the region they were from. And I said to them, I said, brothers, where are you from? And they said, Venezuela. Because Hugo Chavez, he said, with, with Hugo Chavez, he's here visiting Muammar Gaddafi. This was during the time that Gaddafi was alive. And uh, I didn't know the great numbers of black people that were in Venezuela. I just did not know it. And uh, after I went there and they explained to me the tremendous numbers, because under the old regime, the black people were marginalized in Venezuela. They had no uh, profile. They had no visibility in political positions until Hugo Chavez became the president. And when I was in Venezuela, they said that we're opening up embassies in 37 African countries to establish their relationship with the African nations, and many of them Muslim countries, so the influence of Islam could only grow in Venezuela itself. So what I see, I would hope that his vice president um, will win the upcoming election in April and continue the policies of Hugo Chavez. And I hope that the, the nation of Islam, that we will strengthen our relationship with Venezuela and perhaps once they have the election and if uh, the vice president uh, of Hugo Chavez wins this election, that the policies that Hugo Chavez set in place will continue. And it is amazing to see the outpouring. The world cannot uh, neglect it or overlook it, the tremendous outpouring of people in the streets of Caracas, Venezuela, and now that they have determined they want to embalm his body and so that his spirit, his drive, his work, uh, his direction will continue to live in the hearts and minds of the people of Venezuela that has not only affected South America in their new socialist thrust in South America, but has affected the whole world. Yes, yes, yes. Um. Okay, and I'm um, Brother Brian. I know you wanted to um, talk. Did you want to talk more about um, the meeting at uh, Savior's Day? Yeah, um, if if uh, Brother Akbar can can talk about that, it, you know, uh, you know what came out of the um, uh, the meeting we had of the global mission of the Nation of Islam um, and where we plan to move forward. And also there was uh, somebody online that I'm looking at on my screen who would like you to repeat the uh, phone number uh, 
of the you know the information for the trips um okay. and and do they have to be a member of the nation of Islam to be on those trips so that was that was coming from what was no. in front of me no okay and before um you um can ahead. I bring this caller in cuz he was on just a minute and the call dropped yes okay uh caller 847 475 can you state your name where you calling from yes name is keith calling from chicago okay how's the you brother you have a, a question or comment yes okay he's trying to be a stranger brother aqua that sound like that sound like your friend keith <laughs> i'm hey, listen <laughs> Uh, 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 Brother Keith, you cannot hide that voice, and I'm so glad that you called in. And uh, the fact that I've been all in Africa traveling, trying to reach you, I didn't know if you had uh, taken that Russian's <laughs> offer up on a trip to the moon or to, to uh, uh, he's charging only a million dollars a passenger. So how, how are you, uh, Brother Keith? Salam alaikum, and go right ahead with your question. <laughs> Walaikum salam, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, I just wanted to say first that it's a tremendous privilege, actually, for all of us on the line to be able to, through social media, hear actually the great wisdom that you have, Brother Akbar, and I mean that with all uh, sincerity. So my big salute to Sister Sandra and Brother Brian for helping to make this happen and all those others who I'm, I'm sure I don't know. But this is, for all of us as listeners, if you're on the line, uh, you're hearing firsthand from a person who has so much wisdom about not only the Caribbean and Africa and the plight of our people. Um, it's just a tremendous privilege. I just wanted to state that up front, that social media affords us to have. So so that said, um, Brother Akbar, you know, the minister's spoken a lot about the Caribbean and more recently this idea of a united uh, states of of the Caribbean. I'm wondering, because you mentioned the point, and it was a brilliant point, about there being a window of opportunity and that doors close over time because the world changes. With this window of opportunity that uh, we're exploring now, what would you see as some of the efforts that us as individuals or even in concert with the uh with the uh the nation uh can do to make sure that this window is taken advantage of um between us in the US and us in the Caribbean to take us and our people uh further what can we do as individuals and what can we do in concert with the nation. Yeah, thank you, Brett. Well, um, very, first of all, Keith, thank you very much, and I pray to Allah that I'm, I'm worthy of your very kind words and so forth. And, Keith, you know that um, I'm getting older now. I'm, I'm not old yet, but I'm getting older. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's something about uh, as you mature and you look at things, you know the missteps that you have uh, may have made in life, you can look at them yourself. They're, sometimes they're personal with you. And also you know the opportunities that you let go by. Um, I was standing in the Sudan, 
and there was the minister from China of African Affairs with his translator, a young Chinese woman. And uh, so I, um, after a conference, a great conference in the Sudan, I approached him, and I introduced myself. I told him I was from America, a member of the Nation of Islam, and we have a tremendous interest in Africa. Um, we may not be in the strong position that China's in when they're development projects. And I said to him, in my opinion, you need a bridge uh, to Africa through the Africans in the diaspora that are scattered throughout the world. Because China, I told through his translator, that China is being beat up in Africa, uh, dumping cheap goods, taking advantage of the Africans. I have a different position on that um, because China is a balance for Western uh, hegemony into Africa. And most people do not know the amount uh, of business that America does with Africa. They have no idea. Kenya is a prime example right now, and Kenya, America, considers a strategic alliance in um, Africa, especially in that east corridor of Africa running from Somalia uh, down to uh, Mozambique um, and into Rwanda and Uganda. So what, and I'm saying it to a man on the line that understands the power of information, the power of transmitting ideas, uh, conveying directions, and the power of proper images of what you're doing. So I was saying to the Chinese man, you need somebody that can help you with your image in Africa after they have called these conferences in China bringing in African leaders because the American uh, system uh, has beat up on China in its press, and they're they're uh, at. Mm-hmm. Hello. Uh-oh. Yeah. It's... Okay. Still with us, Akbar. Uh, we just lost Dr. Akbar. His call just dropped. Um, okay. Okay, and on that note, um, Brother Brian, can you um, just speak for a minute? Because I have to call him. Have to okay. Try to... Got to do a technical thing to to get him back on. So, yeah. So, yeah. So that's. I mean, he he he's right in terms of China and you know and the examples that's there of of what could be done and you know and it it was it really would take as he said to go see for yourself you know do the research. But of course, you know, develop the drive to make something happen, you know. And and one of the things that I that I wanted to just you know chime in on is you know overcoming the the fear factor of the unknown, you know. And and I find that uh, many people, you know, allow fear to you know to stymie what they may have in terms of ideas and, and whatnot in their hearts to do, you know. But, but you know, Brother Keith, who, who was called in, you know, he knows firsthand the, you know, the level of preparation that one, you know, should engage in, but the fact is engage. Just use me. Oh, no problem. And, yeah. 
so you know, so yeah, yeah. So sister, is he back on? Uh he's he's not not yet. I'm I'm waiting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so you know, the the, the key is is to engage, and and I think that um, you know one of the things that we did coming out of our national convention in Chicago was to try to begin to formulate a mechanism that can help serve that process, you know, for brothers and sisters, not just, you know, those that are interested certainly in going and 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 from the uh, nation of Islam uh, standpoint uh, and our work, but also for business and, and, and having an avenue to get questions answered and to help, you know, uh, in terms of facilitating things. So, yes. Uh, hold on. Is a caller that has a question. Let me bring the caller in. Uh, caller 202-905. Can you state your name where you're calling from? Yes, caller 202-905. If you have a question or comment. Okay. You might have pushed one by mistake. Mm-hmm. Have you? Okay, okay, brother Brian. I didn't mean to. Um, oh no, off. no, no. I I was just you know looking at a you know another dimension in terms of of one of the you know to to answer what brother Keith was uh, talking into you know and we're and we're hoping to uh, have that set up you know as as a means or as an avenue to facilitate. Um, people, you know, engaging, engaging in commerce, engaging in uh, these various opportunities that are out there. And can, uh, can I interject a little bit um, into this also with uh, what Brother Minister Akbar said about the door of opportunity, is that when we look at history and we look at it in a cyclical manner, we look at, for instance, Hitler and his march in uh, his march to uh, into Europe, and that march into Europe really drew, drew a lot of forces out of Africa, and we saw how Africa began to get its independence. Uh, we see when Rome did the same thing, stretching its forces, that a lot of, of, of those uh, nations or those countries or those villages that Rome occupied were able to free themselves from the Roman uh, uh, occupation, and so now we see the same thing with America stretching its forces beyond its capability to supply those forces, and the opportunity now is coming open for uh, those countries that were once under its occupation or uh, through the IMF or through uh, the UN uh, now being able to at least flex a little bit and the door of opportunity becoming open. Uh, and as we know, that two things can't occupy the same space at the same time. So as we see America falling, which, is, which it is falling, uh, we see this door of opportunity opening uh, for uh, a new way of life, as Sister Ava wrote in her uh, wonderful book. Um, and so this is, like uh, Brother Akbar was saying, this is a grand opportunity for us to begin to unite and to pull our resources and to uh, begin to look globally 
uh, you know, uniting with our brothers and our sisters uh, in Africa and throughout the Caribbean, as we see this beautiful picture on the face of the Final Call newspaper, or I believe it was the Final Call, but the two hands stretching forth uh, over the nations. Uh, and so this is um, this is our time. Yeah, and I and I and also I can add to that that you know much of it you know is we don't have to happen on the level like when we talk about the role of the uh, or the presence of the IMF and all of these uh, you know huge organizations that really have been have had negative impact on the Caribbean on Africa. But the people-to-people connection, and I and and you know, and I think that this is where the example of our brothers who are, have been moving back to the Caribbean and setting up businesses, you know, it will. It, that's why it, to to go there, to travel, and to see for yourself, and to begin to make connections for yourself, it's important because a lot of it is going to happen uh, in spite of the bigger picture. Of negativity that's that's been swirling around uh, Africa and and uh, and the Caribbean and other places um, from a governmental standpoint. So it 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 will take you know people to people doing business and doing commerce and and making those type of connections with one another. And. Um, I have to say, I've been trying here to get um, Brother Akbar. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of having a little difficulty with that. It's well, well, I, I would wanted to ask Brother Brian a question, if he could give maybe some insight on uh, the, the recent uh, segregation uh, of the bus line in Israel. Um as we know that it, it's, it's kind of ironic that the Jews uh, here in America were marching with Martin Luther King during the Civil Rights era. At the same time, they were kicking the Palestinians out of their homes starting in 1948. And now today we hear that they are segregating the bus lines under so-called making it easier for the Palestinians to get into, mm-hmm. into Israel. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit uh, on that uh, separation? Well, and, 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 well, if you could just speak on make that right there. Well, a couple of years ago, um, former President Jimmy Carter wrote a book um, on Israel um, called... Apartheid, I have the full, but it had Apartheid in the title. And, you know, and I could remember, you know, when when we were there, we traveled there with the Honorable Minister Farrakhan on on his third World Friendship Tour. And when we arrived into Palestine, um, we literally had to wait because of the security lines and you can see these upper tiers just just picture a building and on the side of the building is gated in and hundreds of people trying to get through that little passageway on these upper tiers 
outside this building. And what it was, this was the security checks for Palestinians who worked outside of the Palestinian areas. And they were coming back from work into their areas. But they had to go through this every day of showing their passports or their information, their ID. You know, the, you know, they had security checks for the vehicles. One of the reasons why the minister did not go to Jerusalem on that trip, for example, and I'm just giving you an example of this apartheid that does exist in this so-called state of Israel or occupied Palestine, it, right. it exists. And, and one of the reasons he did not go to Jerusalem was because they were not going to allow, they didn't allow the permits for the Palestinian uh, uh, bus owner uh, and this Palestinian security that would have traveled with us into the area. You see, that was one of the reasons. And, and so they do have an apartheid system. And, you know, of course it's being exposed more and more now. People visit Israel on, you know, as uh, from a spiritual standpoint and go into what they refer to as the Holy Land, you know. But this very real thing is happening that we witnessed in old South Africa, you know, right. where everything is segregated, even with the Palestinians, how they live, you and and versus how the Israelis live. You know, the when they occupy the land and they take the land and form these settlements, they build nice communities. And even at the bottom of some of the hills of these nice communities are almost like, I would say, makeshift shanty-looking areas where the Palestinian, Palestinians live. So it is being exposed, and it, and it has to continue to be exposed, uh, you know, because this is part of the injustices that has to be uh, dealt with. This is, you know, and, and as the Honorable Muhammad said, and, and the minister repeated this um, uh, during his series, that, that, uh, that a weapon that Allah will use in this day and time is justice. And so, right. you know, it exists. It's a very ugly situation, but apartheid is the way of life in occupied Palestine. And that book you were talking about was Palestine, Peace, Not Apartheid. Right. Jimmy Carter. Um and you then you mentioned uh you talked about South Africa and it was the wife of Nelson Mandela who came out and recently said that the that South Africa is in a state of, of, of national anger it, it teetering was, on the brink. Okay, I'm gonna bring um, you back. All right. Yeah. But this these are the things, I mean, you know, then this is why they need I mean the world needs the guidance or the presence of you know, of a man like Minister Farrakhan, you know. Right. Because he's able to speak he uh, oh, he's back, sister. He's back. Well, well, welcome back, brother. Crazy, <laughs> so thank I don't know at what point I got cut off. I just know that the I, phone started just clicking. But uh, Brian, thank you, Brother Stephen, Sister Cassandra. Thank you for 
uh, holding things down. And uh, I didn't know how much more time we had on the show. Whether how much more time do we have? We have almost an hour, really. We have about fifty minutes. Okay. Okay. If, if, if I so can, why don't you, you put me down? You put. Go I'm ahead. sorry, go ahead, brother. No, I didn't mean to. No, put me. I want to do another thirty minutes because okay. um, we may get called to 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 the minister's uh, place in in a little while. So I don't want to be in the middle of a conversation and have to uh, cut off. So if you if you got an hour, could you put me down at thirty minutes? Yes, and sir. Uh, remind me when 30 minutes is up. Okay. Yes, I got it. And, and Sister Cassandra, if two things um, that I want to remind them, the, the the phone, the information that you gave out for uh, Cousins Trips, as well as um, I did want to ask a, a, a question based on what Keith was talking to you about, and because I mentioned about this people-to-people connection on the ground as well. You know, we sometimes we talk about Africa and the foreign affairs, and and we deal in the realm of, you know, the 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 IMF and all of these people that 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 needs to be talked about. Um, but in terms of everyday people beginning to make this connection with Africa, the role of people to people connection. So I wanted you, if you could address that as well. Okay, Brian, was that question directed at me? Yes, sir. Okay. As it relates you. to business well, and, first, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. Let, let me say this. Um, <clears throat> um, I was answering Brother Keith's uh, question. that basically was a free and fair election. And uh, we were trying to figure out how to help the people of Liberia, especially the refugees. So, and if you go through government, sometimes it gets complicated uh, because, you know, governments have their strategic interests. They have their alliances. They have also how people vote in the U.N. in terms of positions that governments take. So you have all of those dynamics. So she came up with a people-to-people for Liberia and tried to get citizens who were concerned for the plight of a nation coming out of a long civil war, that they could uh, find a way to relate to the people and also the private sector go in and do business of what the country needs, such as we took a brother, if you remember, Brian, one of our brothers from Cleveland who did electric grids. Mm -hmm. He was a specialist in that, and there was no electric lights in Monrovia at the time. They were operating with batteries, basically everything. Um, So people-to-people relationships are important. They are NGOs, non-governmental organizations, and you can set them up. Uh, This is how the December the 12th movement was able to relate to what was happening in Zimbabwe. Theirs were basically on a very political level, but they set up an NGO. But within the framework of NGOs, 
you can do a lot of work. Now, NGOs, some are positive, some are negative, such as all of the NGOs set up in Haiti uh, that they set them up in the aid never reached the government because they were saying we don't trust the government, but we want to help the people. So money that is raised comes to the NGO, and the NGO relates directly to the people on the ground. And so I want to, you know, kind of give the understanding of how that happens. But one of the best relationships are people to people. And what we have uh, as an intro is a lot of uh, young, brilliant Africans from all of the countries, all 54 countries on the African continent, in some capacity doing something inside of America. And if we could galvanize them and kind of organize them, we open doors for a lot of services that can take place, as well as the business component. Now, and, and why I'm laying on the business component, because in order to do humanitarian work, there has to be business. Um, most of the capitalists make all of this money, and what they do in order to uh, satisfy themselves and get good, strong tax write-offs instead of giving uh, millions and millions of dollars to their government, they find humanitarian causes that they pour that money into. So, uh, And there's a, there's a story that you can look at. You know, they take advantage of the people in many cases, and they make a lot of money, but they pour them into these humanitarian things. We want to uh, do the same thing, but not with the same motive. We want to use the business opportunities that exist that the countries actually need, the society needs, but we want to take the profits that are made in those businesses in order to promote the ideas on a humanitarian level that we can help the people. I'll give you an example. There's a growing problem of drugs in West Africa, and it starts with the country of Guinea-Bissau because of the porous borders. The drugs are not destined for the African masses. The drugs are destined for the Europeans who can afford them, but the way to get them in Europe, out of South America, into Europe, is through places in Africa that they can move it from Africa uh, into Europe. In the old days, across the Sahara Desert, they brought the salt and the gold, and it crossed that Sahara Desert on camelbacks. Salt gold, mainly, and slaves. Now those same routes across the Sahara is carrying the drugs that are coming from South America into the borders, countries in Africa with their porous borders and um, their um, access to the sea that is not governed well, and these drugs are making their way. So now wherever you have a society where drugs move through that society, the drugs end up getting in, into the society, and people begin to use them. Africa historically never had a major drug problem such yeah. as Europe and America. They just didn't have that. But now you see it going. So in our service, we can do that in a people-to-people's relationship as long as that NGA or that organization is funded, and it's funded through the business arm. The business arm is a reality. So I just wanted to say, Brian, that's that's our people-to-people relationship is very important, and that's what we would be about. 
because if I if I go in and forgive me for being long winded, but if no, I go I, in, I, all I want. Okay. Can, can you hear me? Yes, sir. I, yes. You have a caller waiting. I just wanted you to know that. Okay. Okay. If yes, you go in, and all you are concerned with is whether you believe as I believe, and you just want to preach your religion, and that's all, nothing else. But you're not concerned with the social needs. You're not concerned with the human dynamic of education and other things within that society. You just want to preach your religion. You will never be successful. You need to create jobs for people. If your if your religious pursuits creates jobs, education for people, help the poor and the orphans, and do those kind of humanitarian things, then it's a people to people dynamic, fueled by those in the business sector, who have principles and are not unprincipled. Thank, thank you very much. Brother Brian, I know it was a long answer, and you know I'm known for these long answers, but forgive me, I wanted to get that out. Go right ahead with your next caller, sister. Okay, yes, sir. No, that's good. Um, okay, caller uh, 678-933. Uh, can you state your name right, where you call us from? Yes, sir. Hi, Assalamualaikum. This is Brother Jahad Muhammad from Atlanta, Georgia. Waalaikum salam, brother. Yes, Brother Jahad. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikum salam, sir. This falls right in line, Brother uh, Minister Akbar, with your, what you were just talking about. I heard the minister say, "Believes, I believe." I don't want to misquote him, but I believe he said that everywhere he went in the Caribbean, that none of the people were independent as far as feeding themselves. I wanted to know how is the message of land and developing agriculture in the Caribbean is being received by the government officials as well as the people in the Caribbean islands since the minister's been there. Yeah, great question. Okay, I want to give you an example to answer your question. The minister went to the country of Antigua. He spoke there, and the prime minister of that country heard his speech and what he talked about land and growing uh, food to feed themselves. The prime minister was so moved, we were traveling in the Caribbean through Antigua on our way to St. Thomas. The prime minister came to the airport and said to the minister, I want to follow up on what you talked about, land and growing uh, food in this system that the minister talked about, Will Allen sister, system of um, uh, compost, it's called, uh, and growing products. Prime Minister himself, because in the minister's speech he said as long as the Caribbean is tourist-based and you're depending on the hotels and the tourists and, and uh, not using your land to feed your people, you will always be at the mercy of others. And that has resonated throughout the Caribbean wherever he's gone. And so <clears throat> this is a prime example. Now, he opened the door. He said it. They are interested in it. But now it's those who understand it, know what that dynamic is, and can follow through on what the minister opened up in his delivery. You, you have, it's received very well, and this is why each country that the minister has gone to in the Caribbean, he's always gone out to look into agricultural products because the minister knows that land is the key. The land that you can grow food to feed yourself is the key to your independence. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Okay. 
And let me try this other caller again. It has the hand raised. Um, caller 202-905, did you have a question or comment? Okay, you can press 1 so you can uh, take yourself out of the queue. Okay. Okay. Um, and I think we um, ended with uh, Brother Brian. He was asking a question. Um, when the line got cut off, I think you were asking a question at that time. Yeah, I mean, it, w- it was just to, it was, uh, oh, the information um a couple of the people in in the chat that's in front of me um, uh, wanted you to repeat the uh, information for cousins trips and uh, you know so they can and and you already answered that whether you whether you have to be a Muslim to go. <laughs> so, Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, I just want to say this that uh, George Frazier, who wrote the book Success Runs in Our Family. He just made his uh, trip to Africa along with a, another businessman named Mike Roberts, a hotel owner out of St. Louis, uh, and as well as Brother uh, Earl, a businessman in Africa uh, from Las Vegas. Um, they made a trip, and they were just looking at the tremendous potential that exists in Africa. But we hope that we can uh, get some brothers and sisters who would like to make the trip. I'm going to... Uh, Inshallah, God willing, be on the trip with them, and the trip is being handled by Cousin Trips. You can actually go CousinTrips.com, but the phone number and the email address I'll give to you is 678 area code 549-4775. The email address is info. I-N-F-O at CousinsTrips.com. Okay? So those who are interested, and uh, I just want to make one comment on the, um, Brother uh, Keith uh, uh, about business in Africa. To me, Africa offers a tremendous uh, potential for us in areas that um, we need to work on in Africa and countries. I mean, there are countries in Africa uh, that would love to have the expertise that we have, and we have to make it meaningful. Uh, And uh, you need someone who can open doors. And uh, Minister Farrakhan, when he goes to countries, is just his name and reputation. He ends up with an audience with the presidents. They just see him. And when they see him and they open a door, he needs those that have expertise who can step in that door that will benefit that country, will benefit a business entity that will support our humanitarian work. I mean, the exchange and education, there's something that's happening in Africa now that many people don't know about, but it's a good niche for us. Universities are opening up campuses on the African continent. And one of the reasons that this is happening, because of the security arrangements, such as what's happening right now in Nigeria, it's difficult for them to get student visas now. And these universities, depending on many of these students from abroad, especially the Middle East and Africa, because they're cash, they pay for everything, cash money, and they need these students now that it's difficult 
because of security concerns throughout the world, the campuses now are opening up schools on the African continent. That's building management, building contracts, teachers, professors, supplies for the schools that come basically all from America. I mean, the opportunities are unbelievable, and they're doing it. Uh, Ghana has two universities now that's about to open up campuses. Uh, You can call them satellite campuses. Egypt has already done it. Egypt is in a little chaos now, but it's happening all across Africa, and uh, you can find out through the, um, uh, not the State Department, um, or I can't think of the department in Washington, and they will tell you, and uh, Brian, I'll get it and you can let them know, they can tell you where all of these campuses are being opened up across Africa. And just think of everything a campus has to be supplied with. And then going back to what keeps public relations for the campus, the University of um, uh, St. Louis University's uh, Ghana campus, it has to be promoted. They have to develop an image uh, for their overseas campus. So I'm saying that this is going on, and it's another great opportunity that a few people know about uh, unless they're really in that mix. Okay. Yes, sir. And I'm Brother um, Stephen. Uh, yes, ma'am. Um, I, I wanted to ask, um, and I was uh, asking Brother Brian about this, uh, about the comment or statement that uh, Nelson Mandela's wife made about South Africa and it being teetering on the brink uh, of something very dangerous. Uh, can you give us some insight on on uh, the situation in South Africa and how, how critical how critical is it? Okay, yes. Well, I don't think it's a population of 48 million people. Right now, it's the strongest economy on the African continent. Um, and the uh, 5 to 6 million white people who still live there are basically in the control of that economy. And what happened when the miners, uh, the strike took place, and those miners, uh, I think it was 37 miners were killed, it brought to the surface the condition of the miners, not only their condition, their low salaries and their living conditions, which was deplorable, but the world didn't know that the platinum mine owners, who are Europeans, they may have a few black people in there as tokens in some position, but it brought to the attention of the world what that struggle was about. And so now... It has sparked something in South Africa. Uh, I used to say all the time that the place on the African continent that would be most receptive to our idea and our direction is South Africa. Because when you go there, the same thing, the inner city crime, and they have not eliminated the townships that Nelson Mandela thought when he became president with the promises that he had from the international community, they would eliminate that. But when you have this tremendous gap between the haves and the have-not, and people are struggling to try to put food on their table, then it produces crime. It's not that the people have a criminal mentality. They see these people that have so much, and they lose a sense of moral judgment that I should not steal from them or I shouldn't take from them. 
Well, I shouldn't commit crimes. But I have next to nothing, and so that's why you see South Africa in the shape. Crime is a problem in South Africa, but it's a functioning society. Uh, you know, it's not that when you go to South Africa, I mean, we go there quite a bit, and it's a functioning society, but they have a tremendous problem with crime, and these next elections will determine whether the ANC may have a problem uh, staying in power and keeping uh, going forward unless they satisfy the needs of the masses of poor South Africans who are on the very bottom of that society. But South Africa has uh, tremendous potential, and that's another thing. See, the, the South Africans can't, because they have this strong uh, economy, cannot allow, like you saw, the man that they dr drug on the back of that uh, truck and the killed him. I think right. he was from Malawi. Where, where was he from, Brian? Um, I'm, I wasn't familiar with that one, but okay. somebody said Malawi. They, they, there was a, a fight that broke out. Uh, they handcuffed this man. I don't know if he was from Somalia. I don't think it was Somalia. And the police drug him on the back of a truck, and he was killed. South Africa, black policemen now. Oh, so this, this is during the uh, black mind. Uh, this is during the protest. Was that this, the this was last week? Oh no, I, I I did I missed that one. Okay, wow. This was last week. Um, mm -hmm. But here's my point that I'm making on this for my brother that asked the question about South Africa, is that South Africa having the largest economy and people want to. Um, go to South Africa to work to find jobs. And the South Africans now, because of what happened in Zimbabwe and other places, they're blocking these people out. They say, you can't come to South Africa. This is what happened in Africa. You know, Muammar Gaddafi was trying to unite Africa, make it one United States of Africa, break down borders, let Africans flow freely from country to country, trade in goods and so forth. Make it one continent, Africa, or United States of Africa. But since his death, the African Union has been tremendously weakened because he bankrolled it uh, out of the Lib tremendous Libyan resources, and he had, as a godfather, the ability to solve problems, though they don't want to give him the recognition. They want to say he was a troublemaker, but he saw more uh, problems in Africa than the UN and others he himself, by his charisma, his influence, and the power of the money that he had in order to solve those problems. He would have protested to the highest about South Africa from a certain people. We don't want to come to South Africa when it's on the African continent and you've got five to six million white people controlling the economy and telling you as a black man that your brother from Congo, from Malawi, from Mozambique, all of your neighbors, they can't come here because we don't want them in our society. Mm. No. And, um, Professor, you so know, thank you very much. And, and uh, I, I know I only have a few minutes, yeah. but let, let me go, uh, Sister Cassandra, if there's more questions. Um, and while we're on it, mm -hmm. the Khalil and his wife are in South Africa working, and they're working very hard. I'm certain that, Brian, anybody on the line who's interested, in you can give him Khalil. He's from Fort Worth, Texas. His wife is from Zimbabwe. Give him the email. They're teachers in South Africa, 
and uh, they could use anyone who wants to go down and maybe spend six months uh, uh, working with them and helping them and just try it out and see how it works out uh, on the African continent and reach out to Brother Khalil and his wife. Okay. Yes, sir. And I know you have to um, go, Brother Akbar, and I just wanted to state, you know, because as I hear you, I mean, we're just in wretched conditions all over the world, us as a people. So in closing, you know, what would you say to our people right now to um, really pull this thing together? Because we seem to be, well, we are at the bottom, all over, everywhere that I'm hearing, we're in wretched conditions. So what would your message be, please, right. um, in closing? Well, let me, two things I'd like to say. Yes. Um, we are we are witnesses of the life-giving teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad because yes. he saved us from a pit of fire. Mm-hmm. Many things that we were engaged in, uh, and even our thinking was off. And his teaching and his words helped to bring balance to us and send us in a different direction. And um, and I'm saying to all of those who are followers of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad under the leadership of Minister Farrakhan, and even if you're not in that group, if you're just a brother and sister that likes the direction of the nation, likes to listen to what we talk about, a sympathizer, but you don't have a, a battle with cocaine if you're following the teachings or alcohol or victim of cigarettes. You don't have that kind of struggle. Um, you don't have the struggle if you live in the life of a Muslim, uh, of abusing your wife or your children. That's not your struggle. You don't have the uh, struggle of getting involved in robbery and schemes and and stealing, knocking people in the head or breaking into stores or using white-collar crimes on the Internet because it's things that you don't do. So that's the blessing. That's the number one blessing. The second thing is the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, and we just witnessed a letter that he wrote to Martin Luther King that just turned up recently. In that letter, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad told Martin Luther King and the other leaders that he would meet with them because in order for us to survive, we have to form a black united front. There are many on this line that know about the letter. The minister mentioned it, and I saw a copy of the letter itself. So how do we work to form this united front with our people? And sometimes the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said to us, take plenty. You've got to work with your people. It's such a critical time because of this very overt attack on Islam. It's no secret. They're building up this tremendous dislike for Muslims everywhere. I don't care what kind of Muslim you are. Mm-hmm. So if you know that that exists, and this is our faith, we believe in it, we love our faith, and we're Muslims, then you've got to find a way to unite with one another and do the type of things that can make you independent. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad pointed the way and started it, and he wanted us to be independent. He talked about land. He talked about business. This is why the minister announced this saving program, so that we can have resources at our hand. 
then we find the people who have the expertise and have a clean heart and a clean mind so that they can help us manage the resources, make the most for our people, and become as an independent people. And I think that this is the challenge of where we're at. We can't get bogged down in petty things, arguing okay. over who got the most power in the mosque, arguing whether uh, somebody came in late. And I didn't see you selling papers last week, brother. It's a big world out there. While we're stuck on, you know, in the world they say stuck on stupid, it's stuck on stupid matters that really don't amount to anything. When yeah. people drag me into arguments about that, I have a saying. I say, here, my cell phone, go call someone who cares, because, frankly, I don't give a damn. So okay, when you get bogged down in petty things and the world is this big and we have so many opportunities, all we got to do is unite. If we support this treasury that the minister has talked about, a dollar forty-five cent a week, I think it is, and what, and not only us in the nation, but outside people. In other words, somebody say, "I'll give a chance on the minister for eighteen dollars a month or fourteen dollars a month." Okay. I, it may not go nowhere, but I'm gonna give him a chance to see what happens. That's what people outside are saying, and we can encourage the minister can move on buying land. He can help brothers with the international business back in Africa look for good business opportunities that will produce income so that we can open up universities for our children and that we can send our children off with scholarship money to get an education that will come back and benefit our society. And, uh, and those who believe the Western world is falling and it's crumbling. So to go back to my original uh, statement, while the door is open, while the window, these things close quick, let's take advantage of it and move forward. So I want to thank you very much, uh, and I hope for next month's program I'll be uh, stationary somewhere where I can be on the line for the entire time and uh, will not have to be overseas or traveling. But I want to thank you for this opportunity, and if Keith is still on the line, I want to thank you, Keith, for saying those words through modern communications, through uh, the Internet and uh, uh, blog talk radio, we're able to hear and talk to each other across the country. It's a different world. Let me close with a statement that a very knowledgeable lawyer made to me here. He said to, he met with Minister Farrakhan today. I brought him up to see the minister because he's helping us to organize. And I'm going to close on this statement. He said, People say a lot of things about you, Minister Farrakhan. He said, but since the advent of the Internet and um, uh, this connection that we have made, he said, I can listen to you in context. I don't have to listen to sound bites or read a paragraph in the newspaper about what Farrakhan said. He said, I can listen to you from front to end. And he said, everything that I've heard, I haven't heard this hate that they talked about. I haven't heard that Farrakhan spends time hating white people. I haven't heard that at all. So he, he said that the Internet has afforded me the opportunity to hear the real Minister Farrakhan. And this is the way that our work has to go. People have to know us. And the way that they can know us is through things that you're doing with this radio, this blog talk radio. So thank you very much. I'm, I'm not going to take any more questions, but Brother Brian, Brother Stephen, Sister Cassandra, thank you for affording me this opportunity, and thank you for hooking me up with my dear brother Keith in Chicago, 
and I'm going to reach out to him absolutely tomorrow while I'm here in the Bahamas. Thank you. as alaikum. Thank you, Brother Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my God. Thank you. And, um, you know, on that note, okay, we're going to close out, Brother um, Brian and Brother Stephen, you know, give you all um opportunity, you know, to make a closing statement. But one thing that he was just saying, you know, about hearing the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, every Saturday he's doing a lecture series right now, the time and what must be done. Comes on 6 o'clock uh, Central, 6 o'clock p.m., 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, every Saturday. Um, Brother Brian, you can help me with the mountain and the other hours. But um, this is must here for us. This is to save our lives. And on a note, Brother Brian, Brother Stephen, you want to make a, a closing statement? We'll close it on out. Yeah, well, I, I just want to thank everybody, you know, for taking the time. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that we could be doing on a Sunday evening, um, mm-hmm. but I think that the information was very important, and it's a direction that the uh, minister certainly is moving in, and, um, and, and we should be moving. We are definitely an international people. So, again, I just want to thank everybody who was able to listen in and those that will be listening in the archive. We thank you as well. And, yeah. um, and Sister Cassandra, you know, you just keep up doing what you're doing. And, uh, you know, we will collectively all make inroads. So we thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Brother. And um, Brother Stephen, would you like to close out? Yes, man. I would like to um, thank you, of course, for just making this all possible. Uh, for you, as Brother Brian said, your hard work and dedication, and you're not just, uh, you know, having a talk as cheap as they say. <laughs> so you're doing the hard work because, you know, uh, putting this type of program together is not an easy task. So I would like to thank you, of course, for your hard work, and Brother Brian, of course. Uh, for his excellent articles uh, in the Final Call newspaper uh, mm-hmm. and for being a co-host on your program, interviewing our brother, Brother Akbar. Uh, and Brother Brian, he has a, also a program that is excellent on Blog Talk. And yeah. then, of course, Brother Akbar for, I mean, I took a flight just to take a vacation. And you know the stress of flying. <laughs> and imagine Brother Akbar being the international representative taking flight after flight after flight. Absolutely. And so, you know, I just want to thank Brother Akbar for his hard work and dedication and coming on and giving us true insight, you know, into international affairs. Uh, of course, we know that the mainstream media is no uh, outlet to get news anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. This is totally controlled by uh, Zionist forces, by corporate forces, and they they are basically just mouthpieces. So as Brother Keith said, this uh, blog talk and these other social media outlets are an excellent opportunity for us to get the teachings of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad out to the people as taught by the Honorable Louis Farrakhan. And, of course, thanking the minister for his tireless effort. And as Brother Akbar said, when we look at the minister literally, he looks mm-hmm. as though he is digressing, or I don't mean, you know, I went to the public pool system, but he looks mm-hmm. like he's getting younger. 
And so, you know, he is an excellent example of what happens when we follow the teachings of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad to the Mm -hmm. best of our abilities, eating the one meal a day and so forth. And um, lastly, I just want to uh, encourage the uh, the uh, listeners to continue to listen into your program. And, and can, is it possible I can invite them to uh, check out my uh, blog um, uh, blog site? Yes, sir. Please. Okay. Yes, ma'am. And if they they want to get news that's not in the news, uh, they can go to knowforlife dot org. That's K N O W the number four L I F E dot org. And uh, with that, sister, I want to just thank you and, you know, the minister's uh, lectures on uh, Saturday, the time and what must be done. We can actually find, you know, that in the Bible, you know, and uh, the minister is right in accord with what we read about the Bible and that we, the black man and woman, we are uh, the chosen people uh, that the Bible is speaking of all throughout it. You just overlay the Bible with our history, and you have an identical match. So the minister is an excellent guide because we need a guide to show us how to get out of this maze of confusion that the enemy has set up for us. Yes, that's exactly right. Thank you, um, Brother Stephen and Brother Brian. And as you were just saying, you know, um, to everyone that's tuning in, you can go back to uh, www.noi.org and listen to all of the previous um, lectures on this series and catch up. It, he's uh, on Lecture 9 uh, yesterday. So go back and listen to that. Each one of them, I must hear messages for us. And as you were just saying also, um, Brother Stephen, about the travel, you have the minister who will be turning 80 years of age in, in May. Brother Akbar is 70 years of age, constant travel. And this is something that is very taxing on your body. I know with Brother Akbar, he just um, returned from Ghana within the past month, returned from Ghana, went to Chicago to save his day, left there, back in St. Louis, then in the Bahamas, just constant uh, travel. So we thank Allah, you know, for these warriors, you know, in our midst and pioneers, you know, that are paving the way for us and, as you said, Brother Stephen, excellent examples. So thanking him, thanking our Brother Akbar, you and our Brother Brian, thanking the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, who never stops teaching us and raising us, literally raising us from the dead. He never stops. Um I want to thank all the callers who called in. And for those that are in the chat room, I could my um, screen is completely blank, so I wasn't able to see any, um, you know, of the conversation. I don't know. But um, thank you all for participating. And I'm going to close out with a song. But um, before then, I have a show also on Monday, each Monday at um, 12, at noon um, on Black Hole Radio called Nzinga Resurrected. And tomorrow I will be having Sister Sudan here from uh, Washington, D.C., Muhammad's Mosque Number 4. She will be on to speak on the youth um, creation community outreach um, project that she has going. So I'm inviting everyone to tune in to that program 
as this is the one the month of the woman, and we will um, put our issues forward and work together to really restore this civilization. So thank you all. And I'm going to close out this song. Assalamu alaikum. I love you all. Thank you. Hey yo, this is Function representing for Sister Cassandra. Check it out, nothing but wisdom from the beautiful world. She knows the struggle, she knows the pain. She came here to bring about the change. So many forces trying to lead us astray. She came to fight for a cause and set the record straight. Yeah, she knows the struggle, she knows the pain. She came here to bring about the change. So many forces trying to lead us astray. She came to fight for a cause and set the record straight. Hey, yo, open up your ears, listen up to hear the voices of an angel who came to get you prepared for the times at hand and the future that's near. When her light shines, these devils can't stand the glare. She came to wipe away the tears from the cheeks of the youth who suffered over the years from senseless warfare. It's like Joan of Arc in battle with stands clear that she fights for the freedom of all with no fear. You can tell by the words she transmits through air, cutting through the lies, life surgical shares. The information gets deep like the rabbit hole. We in the matrix of illusion. And she knows the code to set you free If you open your heart and focus You don't want a real problem currently affecting the globe So tune in to the blog and talk on radio With my sister Cassandra so we all can grow She knows the struggle, she knows the pain She came here to bring about the change So many forces trying to lead us astray She came to fight for a cause and set the record straight She knows the struggle, she knows the pain She came here to bring about the change so many forces trying to lead us astray She came to fight for a cause and set the record straight and Don't you think that it's time we come together As a people like Run DMC and be tougher than leather But right now we're falling apart like old pleather And we need people like this to withstand the weather And withstand the storm when it rains and pours I was told that they live while the people snore Then I met another person that chose a chore Of waking us all up so we could make it to shore It's time to set up camp, hold down the fort Cause there's a beast after us and we all the main course, and what about the children? They can't handle the force of the unknown unless we point the danger zones and feed their soul so their aura can grow and they can see through the valley of death and fight foes. So tune into the blog and talk on radio with my sister Cassandra so we all can grow. She knows the struggle, she knows the pain. She came here to bring about a change. So many forces trying to lead us astray. She came to fight for a cause and set the record straight. She knows the struggle, she knows the pain. She came here to bring about a change. So many forces trying to lead us astray. She came to fight for a cause and set the record straight.